Welcome to this webinar series, Physical Activity Researcher Podcast and International Society for Physical Activity and Health, ISPA, have started collaboration. We have edited their webinars to audio-only podcast versions, so you can listen them also on the go. Our mission is to advance science and share scientific knowledge, so if your organization has relevant webinars or lectures and would like to get more audience to them, please let us know. But without further ado, let's jump to the webinar. I have the great pleasure to introduce um, perhaps the two most important people at Propass. Uh, one of them mm. is here with us today and the other one is here via recording. I'm talking about uh, our two in-house postdocs who run much of the Propass's machinery. Uh, Dr. Joe Blodgett, who is based at the University College London, will give the first talk and um, she will play the recording, Matthew Ahmadi's recording, our postdoc at the University of Sydney. So these are the results of the proof of concept pulling uh, uh, Propass exercise. So uh, here we are not using, we didn't use the federated analysis, the federated access, data access platform that Propass is developing in collaboration with DataShield. We did some physical pooling of five or six uh, cohorts uh, as cross-sectional. So Joe, uh, please tell us the rest of the story. Thanks for joining us. Um, so as Manos mentioned, I'm going to be presenting some of the early results. So I'll first give an overview of what we've done to get to this point. Then I'll share Matthew's findings and then I'll end with, uh, with my findings. So just a bit of background to the project. Our overarching aim is to better understand how the full spectrum of device measured physical behaviors so across the full 24 hour day are associated with risk for cardiovascular disease and all cause mortality. So as a proof of concept, we pulled six different cohort studies, and I'm going to briefly touch on, on what we had to do for this. So these are the six studies. So we um, had communications with all of them, data transfer agreements, physical pooling of data, trying to better understand all the individual variables. And each of the, the six cohorts here brings something unique. So we have for example, the BCS70 who were all born within the same week in 1970. We've got the Nijmegen exercise study, which is a, a more active group. And we developed an, the ActiPass software. So this was created specifically for ProPass. And the end product is an easy to use um, software. So there's minimal burden for any participating cohort, for any PIs. And it allows the raw accelerometer files to be processed and to give us different variables. So from our initial processing, we have nearly 10,000 variables relating to activity type, to different bouts, frequencies, different cut points, and that sort of thing. And then in order to harmonize the non-accelerometry data, we had to work closely with each of the cohorts. So the first step was for each individual study to fill out a data dictionary. So they provided every variable that mapped on to different constructs we were interested in. Then as a team, we had to harmonize each individual variable. So this example is self-reported health. This one was quite easy because all six cohorts had it and all six cohorts asked it in the same way with five potential um, answers. But as you can imagine, it gets a lot more challenging when cohorts aren't asking questions or are asking it in continuous versus a categorical way. 
And then we coded each, um, each variable, pulled it together into a single data set. And now we're at the stage of trying to select the appropriate mix of covariates. Um, so again, depending on the, the different level of detail um, and what's actually available. So we initially harmonized 20 covariates, um, and they, these are the list of ones that we're looking to include in our first analyses. We are gonna be working with Maelstrom um, to, to harmonize more covariates across more cohorts, and we're really looking forward to that. So this is a, a brief summary of what outcomes we're looking at, and you can see kind of quite a large sample size. So our measures of adiposity we have across all six cohorts, about 15,000 people. And then the blood-based biomarkers um, we have in, in four, um, and for one of them, we have it just in three, um, but still quite a large sample size, about uh, 12 or 13,000. So we had two research objectives. So Matthews is to, to examine and better understand the dose response associations between specific activity types and the cardiometabolic outcomes. Whereas I looked at compositional approach, so looking at the four movement behaviors in relation to each of the outcomes. So I'm going to play this video. Hi everyone, sorry I couldn't be presenting there in person today. Going off of Joe's opening talk, I used our harmonized data set to look at the associations between physical activity type and overall cardiometabolic health. As we all know, physical activity is crucial for major chronic disease prevention and improved overall cardiometabolic health. However, research has predominantly focused on intensity-based measures, irrespective of activity type. And this is largely attributable to limitations of questionnaires and prior device-based techniques. This was most recently highlighted in the 2020 WHO Activity in Sedentary Behavior Report with a call to action to form an evidence base on the associations of activity type with various health outcomes. And this is in addition to the American Heart Association and European Society of Cardiology in their most recent reports, both stating a need to improve activity prescription through accessible forms of physical activity that can be performed by the majority of their patients. With this in mind, we conducted a harmonized individual participant meta-analysis to examine the dose response associations of various physical activities and sensory behavior with cardiometabolic health markers. We harmonized lifestyle behavior, social demographic, and health data from six cohorts, each providing thigh-worn accelerometer data. And as Joe will have already gone through with you, our harmonization process, I won't repeat any of that here for you again. The activities we examined were sitting or reclining, walking, stair climbing, and fast walking or running. We examined the associations of each of these activity types with body mass index, waist circumference, total cholesterol, high-density lipoprotein, triglycerides, and C-reactive protein. We also examined the overall cardiometabolic health score, which was obtained by standardizing the individual markers and deriving a composite cardiometabolic health score based on the mean for each participant. To examine the associations between activity type and cardiometabolic health, we use generalized linear modeling with natural splines and knots placed evenly throughout the activity duration distribution. And in each of the analyses, we adjusted for age, sex, smoking status, alcohol consumption, sleep duration, education, prevalent illness, and medication use. And we also mutually adjusted for each of the other activity types using the residual method to account potential multicollinearity. Our core analytic sample comprised 15,285 participants. And in front of you is a breakdown of each cohort sample contribution. And the overall sample had an age of around 54 years. In the overall sample, 
around 55% of the participants were female and 70% had never smoked, whereas 8% were current smokers. 28% of the participants had a university education and another 22% had a high school education. In front of you now are the results for each individual cardiometabolic health marker. We generally saw the same association patterns across activity types in each of the health markers. And to give you a flavor of this, we'll now focus on body mass index. With body mass index, we saw that stair climbing had a, an association magnitude that was similar to fast walking or running when stair climbing was done between 10 to 15 minutes per day, after which there were diminishing returns and the association began to level off. For standing shown in the green color, we can see that there was an approximate three to one time duration in comparison to walking shown in the blue. Based on the dose response associations, a person would need to be standing for three hours per day to have an association magnitude that was equivalent to one hour of walking per day. For walking, we see the dose response association begin to level off after about 90 minutes. Focusing now on sedentary behavior, we see that there's a detrimental association that increases gradually from five hours per day to around nine and a half hours, after which the uh, association begins to become much more pronounced. For overall cardiometabolic health, we derived the Z-scores, where a one represents one standard deviation above the mean of the cohort sample, and lower overall scores represent improved cardiometabolic health. And the dotted line, or the dotted horizontal line in front of you, represents a Z-score of zero. We observed improved cardiometabolic health for any duration of fast walking or running. For stair climbing, about five minutes per day was needed to observe improved health. For walking, the duration was at about 50 minutes per day. And then we needed about 150 minutes per day of standing before we began to observe improved cardiometabolic health. Shifting over now to sedentary behavior, approximately 11 and a half hours per day was when we began observing an association for worsened overall cardiometabolic health. So what, all, so what does all of this mean? Well, we saw that there was a similar association magnitude for stair climbing and fast walking or running up to about 10 to 15 minutes per day. We also observed that there was a three to one time duration equivalence between standing and walking before we began to see any similar association magnitudes between the two. Limitations of our study include its cross-sectional design, and that none of the cohorts came from low and middle income countries based on the GNI index. And in future studies, we hope to include um, LMIC countries in our studies. And building off that for our future directions, we also hope in the future to link the prospective health outcomes to assess relationships with hospitalizations and mortality risk. And then in closing, I'd like to give acknowledgement to the participating cohorts and the overall ProPass team and our advisory panel. And thank you very much. Um, so thanks to Matthew for recording that video. Um, so I'm gonna move on to the analyses that I focused on. So I did a compositional data analysis. So what this um, approach does is it, is it considers the finite nature of the 24 hour day. So these four behaviors, sleep, sedentary behavior, light and moderate vigorous physical activity are fixed. And this um, sort of advantageous compared to traditional epidemiological analyses that look at the per unit increase um, in time, so per hour increase in time, not recognizing that there is a limit to the number of hours in a day. And also this lets us understand behaviors relative uh, to one another. So we did isometric log ratio transformations um, and interpreted the, the 
regression coefficients. We also looked at the theoretical reallocation of time. So how does changing 30 minutes of sedentary time and 30 minutes of sleep influence the outcome? And then we looked at both minimally adjusted models and fully adjusted models. So I'm going to use waist circumference to sort of talk through an example. So if you look at this dot in the middle, this is sort of our reference point. Um, and my sort of preference is, because there's a lot going on in this graph, is to suggest you look at the left side. So what happens if we replace moderate to vigorous physical activity with other behaviors? And what we see is that it doesn't matter what behavior we, we replace it with, it has a negative impact on waist circumference. So waist circumference goes up. The flip side just shows that if you were to replace those other behaviors with more moderate to vigorous physical activity, the waist circumference sort of de um, decreases. But it doesn't seem to matter what behavior you're replacing. When we looked at sedentary behavior, we saw something similar. So if you're replacing sedentary behavior with moderate light or sleep, we have a, um, a positive influence on waist circumference. But we do see that the strongest impact is that moderate to vigorous physical activity. And then when we look at light activity, we see something, um, something similar. So moderate to vigorous physical activity is, is best if we replace light activity. But if we start sleeping more or sitting more um, compared to light, we have a negative impact on our waist circumference. And then finally, we looked at sleep, and this is just sort of uh, the fourth the fourth quadrant. It always kind of flips, so it summarizes what we've already seen um, about the impact of, of sleep. Um, so again, sleep it has a positive impact compared to sedentary behavior, but negative compared to um, physical activity. So for each of our outcomes, we were able to look at these um, graphs. You can see there's a lot a lot of information going on here. So what what I want to do is summarize what our uh, what we found. And this is the effect of each individual behavior on the outcome, but there's three different parts that go into the summary. The first is looking at the regression. So how does sedentary behavior relative to the other three influence the outcome? How does the replacement of sedentary against each individual behavior influence it? And then finally, we looked at the, both the minimal and the, the fully and compared um, results there. So the, the first key finding was that more time spent in moderate to vigorous physical activity was associated with better health outcomes. Um, this is, isn't a surprising finding. The next key finding was that more time spent sedentary was associated with worse health outcomes. Again, this isn't surprising, something that we, we've, we see quite a bit. Third, we looked at light activity. And generally we saw that more time spent doing light activity was associated with more favorable health outcomes. But we did see something different with HbA1c. So I want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, so what we see is that replacing light activity with moderate to vigorous is that's advantageous. We see that sleep is actually um, advantageous compared to light activity. Um, and then very little impact, very little difference between light and sedentary. Um, so this kind of suggests there might be a hierarchy of behaviors for this, where the, the moderate to vigorous is giving you the the best outcome, um, and then sleep might be the next most important, then light, and then sedentary. And then finally, our, our fourth kind of key finding was that more time spent sleeping was associated with better health outcomes. But, and this is a bigger but, this wasn't consistent across all of our outcomes. So what we see here when we look at triglycerides, I'll skip over moderate to vigorous because we know what to expect, um, but we actually see a slightly different hierarchy of behaviors. So we see that light activity is is still 
so this orange is still better um, than, than sleep or sedentary behavior. But if we look at the green, we see that the confidence interval um, shows sort of no change. So it's suggesting that whether you're sleeping or whether you're sedentary, that's not really having an impact on uh, triglycerides, which is quite a, an interesting finding. And we, we found the same thing with uh, HDL and total to um, HDL cholesterol ratio. So just to sum up, we, we do know that more time spent um, in moderate to vigorous and less time spent sedentary is associated with better health outcomes. Generally, we can see these trends for light activity and sleep, um, but there's a caveat there and there's a lot that still needs to be explored. Um, we can also say that not all movement is the same. So even though there's a shift towards this sit less, move more, this really highlights how important it is to protect the more vigorous activities. Uh, Matthew's already touched on the limitations, cross-sectional um, lack of, of studies from lower middle-income countries. I think the, the sleep measurement is another limitation. Are we measuring sleep? Are we measuring time in bed? But I won't get into too much details as Anne-Marie Manos will be discussing that um, later. Um, some of our next steps is, is to dive into sleep, is to look at more granularity in the composition. So rather than just putting it into four behaviors, can we break it into eight, nine, 10, um, and then also looking to link, um, link data. And we'll be doing this by when we expand. So we have all 15 cohorts, um, the data from all 15 cohorts and, and our partners at Maelstrom and Data Shield will really help facilitate this. Um, so just to end with the, the same acknowledgements um, as Matthew and, and thank you specifically to Andy Atkin who, who's led the non-accelerometry harmonization um, to Mark Hamer and Manus Stamatakis. Now we're slightly over. Uh, so back to you, Manas. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Through Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.